Episode 1 of War in the Book of Mormon Part 1 Welcome and Introduction Welcome to War in the Book of Mormon. I am Brian Steed, and in this podcast we will introduce the scope, scale, and structure of the dozens of podcasts to follow. I want to begin this podcast, as I will all subsequent podcasts, by informing you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For a brief personal introduction, I am a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel who currently teaches military history to U.S. and international military officers. I have been a reader, student, researcher, writer, and teacher of military history for decades, and part of the reason for that is the Book of Mormon. I am also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I first read the Book of Mormon as an eight-year-old boy, and I have read it dozens upon dozens of times since. Decades ago, when I was a cadet and a university student, the professor of military science at Brigham Young University gave a presentation to cadets and our spouses on General Mormon. This was the first time that I thought of the Book of Mormon as a military history, and that the people in it were more than stories, but each person and each event was real. These things really happened, and it was possible to learn from the details of the events. Fast forward more than a decade, and I and my family were living in the Middle East, where I was then an exchange officer serving in the Jordanian Armed Forces. At that time, I was writing a book and doing research for one of the chapters that included a battle that took place on the border of Syria and Jordan between the early Muslim armies and the Roman Empire. While doing that work, I was impressed with the idea to write a military history on the Book of Mormon. That epiphany came in 2006. Since then, I have been working on what I will share with you. All historians and writers approach a topic with a bias or biases. I want to share with you my biases. I have three that affect how I approach this topic. First, I know that the Book of Mormon is Holy Scripture. I believe it to be a record written to accomplish what it purports to accomplish, to be an additional witness that Jesus is the Christ. What I present comes from an acceptance of the record as being written by prophets who were inspired to include things for a given purpose. I will share those purposes in this podcast and in the podcast to follow. For those of you who are listening or watching who don't share this belief, first, welcome and thank you for participating. Second, I think what follows will still be useful. There are many who study the details of Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings and gain tremendous philosophical value from so doing. At a minimum, I hope to provide at least that much use to you. My second bias is that I was a U.S. Army soldier and officer and that I still teach military professionals. I study ancient and modern military events, and my specialty is Middle East history and the intellectual history of extremist ideologies. I have written several books that use battle analysis as a format for capturing case studies. I will be using that methodology in these podcasts. My third bias is that I have lived and served in the Middle East for many years. I worked with the Bedouin and served in a military based off a tribal society, as well as working with the Israeli military. 
I appreciate the perspective that comes from these peoples and hope to bring that understanding to what I share. War in the Book of Mormon is a podcast that is built from a series of presentations that I have given to numerous groups over the years. As it is now, it is organized into nine parts, each of which will have several to more than ten subparts. I will list them here before we continue. The first part will focus on the beginning of the Book of Mormon and what Lehi and Nephi and their family knew and experienced about and with armed conflict. This will include brief discussions on ancient Near Eastern geopolitics, battle tactics, army organization, etc., so that listeners and viewers will understand the complexity of the world in which the Book of Mormon begins. The second part sets the groundwork for the detailed discussions that follow in the sense of what exists in the small plates of Nephi, who was Mormon, and some general thoughts about the record. The third part addresses the development of strategy as it appears in the book of Mosiah with the people of Zenith, or Zenithites, and also the Jaredites. The fourth part explains how Nephite institutions existed, like chief judges, governors, and chief captains, and how battles and wars changed as those institutions changed. This part ends with a brief discussion on the largest battle in the pre-Christ Nephite history. The fifth part begins a discussion on the main character of Book of Mormon warfare, Moroni, or Captain Moroni, as most people know him. This is simply an introduction to him and his character. The sixth part is an in-depth look at the Amalekiahite War. Don't worry, you will be able to pronounce that by the time we are done. We will cover every significant battle in this most detailed of wars in the Book of Mormon. The seventh part explains the change of war and warfare from being between something like states or kingdoms to being between states and what we call today non-state actors. The Gadianton robbers, as they are called in the Book of Mormon, if you, like me, accept this as scripture, it is this part that has some of the most important lessons for the 21st century. The eighth part compares two radical extremes, the peace following the arrival of Jesus Christ and the genocidal war that destroys the Nephite state for the third and final time. This is Mormon's personal experience. The ninth and final part will be a summary of lessons and a conclusion of our journey together through the Book of Mormon. Each battle, campaign, or war will include my thoughts on possible lessons for personal actions. The battles in the Book of Mormon, especially those in some level of detail, are there to teach us. As I will explain in the next episodes, the Book of Mormon is not a military history but it does have lots of details on military history. You will hear me say this a lot. In the Book of Mormon, details matter. This leads me to the three most important points throughout all of these podcasts. The first is, as I have already said, details matter. The second is, is that all of the material is based off the fact that Mormon has a thesis from which he constructs the Book of Mormon. We will talk about this thesis in a couple of minutes. Third is that Mormon places emphasis on critical elements that help each of us reach the goal expressed in his thesis. These elements are preparation, covenants, and unity. 
we must all prepare ourselves individually through preparing weapons and armor to face the challenges of our life and the world. We must also prepare ourselves collectively through fortifications and obedient conduct. The obedience is found in our obedience to the covenants and promises that we make to each other and to God. As we hold ourselves to these covenants, we become unified in two ways. First, as an individual, with God, through His Holy Spirit, and second, with others who share the same effort to commit to and follow covenants as a community of believers who are then able to enjoy the full blessings expressed by prophets throughout the Book of Mormon. We will not get into these elements in depth in this episode, but we will regularly refer back to them in podcasts to follow. The Book of Mormon is organized in 15 books that appear in a general chronological order, with the exceptions of the Book of Ether and the Words of Mormon. The Book of Ether comes as the second-to-last book, and yet chronologically it is the first book. We will address the Book of Ether out of chronological order and out of literary sequence as well in part three of our podcast series. I will leave it until then to explain why. The other book, out of chronological order, or partly so, is the Words of Mormon. This is Mormon's explanation about the combination of what are called the small plates and the large plates of Nephi. I recommend that you read the introductory material in the published versions of the Book of Mormon to understand the purposes of each record. I will refer back to such material only in brief. The 14 books in the Book of Mormon that exclude the Book of Ether covers a relatively consistent story that begins in Jerusalem at about 600 BC and ends in the Western Hemisphere about 421 AD. That means the record is about 1,000 years from beginning to end. It is not covered in the same detail across the chronology. In the next episode, I will explain Mormon's metaphor and why he spends so much time on specific periods in this millennium. The record of the Book of Mormon was engraved on gold plates. These were thin metal sheets and someone had to etch symbols on them that were read and translated more than 1,400 years after being hidden. The record was engraved primarily by four people, Nephi, his brother Jacob, Mormon, who lived about a thousand years after Nephi, and Mormon's son Moroni, who completed the record. Nephi accounts for 21% of the record we have, in terms of chapter count, Jacob 5%, Moroni 11%, and Mormon 62%. From this you can see why Moroni would name the record after his father. There are other engravers, but they, in total, only account for about 1% of the record. One of the most significant things all of the primary engravers have in common is that they all saw Jesus Christ and gained a personal testimony and witness of his life, ministry, atonement, and resurrection. This is apparent when we address the thesis offered by each engraver. I am submitting that each of these men did offer a thesis. This is a great time to explain something that is truly important. These things are my ideas. I think they're correct, but they may not be. I invite all of the listeners and watchers who might disagree to search and find out what you think is a more accurate thesis. If I can encourage, challenge, or invite you to take a journey of deep study of the Book of Mormon, then I am thrilled, even if you disagree with me, as a reason or a result of the journey. What a great journey. Offer your thoughts in the comments section for others to see and learn from. 
A thesis is a statement of the author's intent, or primary argument. As you will see with each of these theses, they focus on the power that comes from faith in Christ, and they intend to prepare the reader for judgment and meeting Christ. I will not read each thesis in total, but I want to emphasize what is the most important points from each. Nephi's thesis comes in 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 20, where he says in part, quote, But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Close quote. Jacob's thesis comes in Jacob chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, where he says, quote, Wherefore we labored diligently, that we might persuade them to come unto Christ and partake of the goodness of God, that we could persuade all men not to rebel against God, to provoke him to anger, but that all men would believe in Christ and view his death and suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world. Close quote. I am taking this a bit out of order, but I want to leave Mormon's thesis for last. Moroni's thesis comes in Mormon chapter 9, verse 11, and verses 27 and 28, where he says, quote, I will show unto you a God of miracles. O then, despise not, and wonder not, but hearken unto the words of the Lord, and ask the Father in the name of Jesus, for what things soever ye shall stand in need. Doubt not, but be believing, and come unto the Lord with all your heart, and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before him. But ask with a firmness unshaken, that ye will yield to no temptation, but that ye will serve the true and living God. Close quote. Mormon's thesis comes in Mormon chapter 3 verses 20 through 22, where he says, and I will quote in total, And these things doth the Spirit manifest unto me. Therefore I write unto you all, and for this cause I write unto you, that ye may, that ye may know that ye must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam and ye must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil, and also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you, and also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witnesses besides him whom they saw and heard, that Jesus, whom they slew, was the very Christ and the very God. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Close quote. I hope that you have noted the similarities in purpose. This reason, to bring us clean and pure and confident before the judgment seat of Christ, is why every one of these details exists in the Book of Mormon. How do we accomplish this according to Mormon's metaphor? Remember, that it is through personal and collective preparation, obedience to covenants and promises, and through unity. There are many challenges in between us and our realizing these promises. One of the ones often referenced when discussing the Book of Mormon is a pride cycle. This is a cycle where people fall from a position of righteousness and prosperity through pride and wickedness, 
which leads to destruction and suffering, and then to humility and repentance, and then back to righteousness and prosperity. This is a cycle that is present throughout the Book of Mormon record. I want to offer a second way to look at this cycle. I think that Mormon was offering a positive cycle, a way to behave rather than a way to avoid behaving. I call this the unity cycle. At the top is righteousness and unity. This then becomes prosperity or trial. In the record, we see people in unity that enjoy material blessings and others who suffer through trials. Think of the people of Ammon as one prominent example of the latter. The cycle then moves to contention and then to dissension. These two words are often seen as synonyms. In the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary, the first comprehensive dictionary of American English, the two words are defined similarly, but with a key difference. A contention is defined as, and I quote two of the definitions, one, strife, struggle, a violent effort to obtain something or to resist a person, claim or injury, contest, quarrel. Number two, strife in words or debate, quarrel, angry contest, controversy, close quote. A dissenter is defined in its second definition, and I quote, one who separates from the service and worship of any established church. The word is in England particularly applied to those who separate from or who do not unite with the Church of England, close quote. I would offer that Joseph Smith was familiar with Anglicans and how they viewed those who left the church. Following that example, contention in the Book of Mormon tends to mean disagreement, even to the point of violence, whereas dissension tends to mean those who leave the community of believers and typically go to the enemies of that community. This cycle then progresses to war and suffering, which leads to repentance and then back to righteousness and unity. This is a cycle that will play out numerous times. In later episodes, we will see that nearly every war the Nephites experienced was preceded by a dissension as a simple supporting example. There is a lot to war in the Book of Mormon, and I am excited to discuss it in greater detail. For those of you feeling a bit overwhelmed, stay with me and be patient. We will go over the details and explain the context. I will provide recommended readings and extra material as appropriate. We can go through this journey together. I am excited to begin, and I look forward to sharing my thoughts on this greatest of all books. Until next time.